0: You are listening to Revolver Podcast. Wanna grow your own weed but not sure where to get the seed? Go to bcbuddepot.com. For nearly 15 years, BC Bud Depot has been building one of the world's most comprehensive seed banks, offering over 50 strains of top-quality cannabis to suit every grower's needs, including multiple award-winning strains like Godbud, The Purps, BC Blueberry, Girl Scout Cookies, and more. In fact, BC Bud Depot's genetics have won over 30 different cannabis awards over the past decade. So you know you're dealing with a recognized industry leader that will deliver you some of the most potent, flavorful flowers on the planet. They ship worldwide, offering fast, discreet delivery at reasonable prices. All online orders are processed within 48 hours and are packaged and mailed with the utmost stealth and safety in mind. And if for some reason your order gets lost, damaged, or confiscated, BC Bud Depot will resend it at no extra charge, guaranteeing that every customer receives what they paid for. Whether you're looking for indica or sativa, indoor or outdoor, feminized or auto flowering, BC Bud Depot has the seeds you need at a price you can handle. But don't take my word for it. Check out their extensive library of award-winning genetics for yourself at bcbuddepot.com and type in promo code BLAZIN420 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. BC Bud Depot, home of cannabis champions since 2002. Please check your local, state, and national laws before ordering. It's time to roll up those joints, pack those bowls, and fire up those nails you're listening to Blazin' with Bobby Black.
1: What's up, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Blazin'. I'm your host, Bobby Black. Over the past several years, the momentum behind marijuana legalization has been growing. Public support is now at an all-time high. Over half of the United States have medical marijuana. Four states have full legalization for adults, and it's estimated that more will soon follow. It seems that after decades of misinformation, propaganda, and oppression, the forces of prohibition are finally beginning to lose, and the nation is waking up to the fact that the war on drugs has been an abject failure. Huge strides are being made that only 5 or 10 years ago seemed unimaginable to me. So why now? What's changed? Well, first of all, the Internet age has allowed the average person access to tons of information and studies that they never had access to before. Another huge factor, which is undeniable, is the entrance of big business and money into the cannabis community. And yet another big factor is simply generation gap. The fact that up until now, the people in charge were from a bygone era, and now... The baby boomers are in a position of power. They're the elder statesmen, and they're more familiar with marijuana. They've had experiences with it. They've had exposure to it, so they're not as terrified of it. While all of these factors, I believe, are serving as very important catalysts in this transformation from a prohibition mindset to a legalization mindset in America, I think it's imperative that we don't forget who and what laid the groundwork that made all of these changes possible. And that is the decades and decades of hard work and sacrifices of activists, people who believe in the cannabis plant, believe in its healing powers, believe in its creative powers, and believe in the rights and liberties of human beings to enjoy it and ingest it without being ostracized or jailed for it. Now, obviously, there are countless individuals and uh, numerous prominent organizations that have devoted their lives and their energies to this noble cause. And today we're going to discuss one of the oldest and most respected of these organizations, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, also known as Normal. To discuss Normal's history and their role in the legalization movement past, present, and future, please welcome to the show Normal's Executive Director, Mr. Alan Saint Pierre. How you doing, Alan? Good day, Bobby. It's nice to talk to you again. It's been a while.
2: Yes, it's been a while, but uh, so much happens uh, in between that's good regarding marijuana law reform.
1: Yeah, so let's just jump right into it. Uh, Tell me a little about what's on your plate at the moment, what you're dealing with.
2: Well, the the big things ahead of us in 2016 are broken into three basic categories. One is the initiatives. There looks to be six to seven states that are going to have marijuana legalization initiatives that's really important notably with California leading the way and the second is that Congress will have at least 20 to 30 marijuana law reform bills reintroduced some of them will range from legalization to sentencing to medical to hemp to banking regulations but it's all good that's all reflective of this fact the states are moving in a different direction And then, of course, this is a presidential election year, so we can see already from the beginning of the process that we've got people on the Democratic side, like someone like a Bernie Sanders, that would legalize marijuana if he had his choice. And on the other side, we have someone like a Chris Christie, who would say, make me president and I'll end the pot party, you know, the first day of my presidency in the states where it's been legal. So... For the first time in any of our lifetimes, marijuana is debated and discussed at the presidential level. And obviously, whoever wins will have a very big impact on the future. If it happens to be a Democrat or somebody who's in favor of these reforms, then we're probably going to see reforms happen a lot faster at the federal level. If we don't, if we get somebody who's like a stick in the mud, well, that'll be a bummer, but it's not going to stop a number of other states to keep putting pressure on the federal government so this looks to be the busiest year ever for marijuana law reform organizations
1: obviously sanders seems to be the standout the strongest candidate pro cannabis in in this race but how big of a danger is it really like if you were to get a Christie in office he's threatening to stop the legalization train in its tracks and and send us back to the stone age so to speak (laughs) but um you know but can he really undo everything that's been done, or do you think it's too late for that?
2: Yeah, to use a metaphor, I think the genie, the green genie, if you will, is really out of the bottle, and there's no way that uh, a federal politician like the president, even with the power that they have, can do that. And the reason why I suggest that is because we can see in a state like Colorado, the legislature back 2010... They, too, could see that marijuana was going from being sort of an underground medical marijuana situation to one where uh, it was showing up on the main streets all around the state, and they chose to, rather than put the genie back in the bottle, recriminalize marijuana, crack down on it, they acknowledged it would be much better to tax and regulate it, and they did so. So I don't think that uh, the federal government can do what a state government itself has acknowledged it can no longer do. The other thing that people don't really realize is that even if, say, Mr. Christie were to succeed, or, for that matter, the states of Kansas and Oklahoma who are suing Colorado to get it to change its legalization laws, if they prevail, they, if they were to prevail, all they can do... Is, is stop the sale and taxation, but the voters ha- have said that they don't want to have prohibition anymore. So in essence, these um, anti-marijuana folks in Oklahoma and Kansas and Mr. Christie, if they prevail, they wear what they ask for because what they would get is states that have no regulations, no policies. That means you and I could go out and sell marijuana to a 12-year-old. <laughs> so
1: I kind of had really... a different career path in mind, but sure, why not? <laughs> so
2: so uh, even if they prevail, they would lose in the sense that they really wouldn't set up a system that's any better than prohibition. One could argue it would be more chaotic than prohibition.
1: It seems pretty obvious that Colorado has been the leader in in showing us how it should be done as far as uh, creating sensible uh, science and and rational uh, regulations on the industry and and just trying to incorporate it into a normalcy, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that Washington has been kind of struggling, and I think the issues that Washington and Oregon are having is because they're letting the liquor board control it. Would you agree with that?
2: Yes, you pointed to a very important distinction between the way Colorado set up their system and that of Washington and Oregon. And in those two other states, Oregon and Washington, they did defer and place marijuana in the same regulatory scheme as alcohol. And so therefore, there's been lots more restrictions and and tax proposals and fees and less freedom of choice and commerce for producers and consumers. So right now when we want to um, show state legislators or politicians from other countries and they want to come to the United States and do what we call like a pro-legalization junket, uh, we often almost exclusively bring them through Colorado and showing that system as the preferred one rather than to go out to Oregon or Washington.
1: It seems like there's really not uh, their system they're trying to implement, I know that the patients seem to not be happy with the situation because their recreational laws are interfering with the medical setup there, and it seems like they're just kind of muddling through it and they don't really have a plan. I mean, wouldn't they look to a state that really has more sensible things going on and, and say, gee, maybe we should try some of those ideas?
2: There's no doubt that Oregon and Washington, the legislators and the regulators seem to really have a bad view of medical marijuana in general and seek to largely stamp it out in terms of a standalone commerce or that it has its own subculture around it. And thankfully, Colorado has not gone that route. You really do have both recreational if you will and medical marijuana operating very closely next to each other in tandem there's not a lot of problem and and consumers and patients have tremendous choices hundreds thousands of different products but in uh, Washington and Oregon it looks like um, it may be the end of the last 20 years or so of the so-called medical marijuana dispensary model which, uh, at least at normal, we don't support. Uh, We support, uh, uh, whether it's recreation or medical, that uh, they're able to operate in a reasonably unfettered environment and have definitely no greater restrictions than, say, a a package store or a bar has on it.
1: Sure, because there have been tremendous hurdles placed in the way of recreational shops and medical shops in in various states, like very large fees just to apply for licenses and a lot of other hurdles, correct?
2: (laughs) Absolutely. In fact, um, for reformers, while we still have the two-tier mission ahead of us of working to reform the laws and at the same time helping the victims, I mean, 700,000 people a year are still getting busted for pot. There are still about 100,000 people in jail or prison. Uh, we count at least 20 or more people in jail for life for marijuana offenses in the United States. So... While those two important two-tier missions are ahead of us, for the reformers, groups like Normal, MPP, ASA, LEAP, etc., once marijuana becomes legal and um, it's taxed, we still have work ahead of us in lots of areas, including things like making parity with alcohol products to make it so that, for example, if you are a gun owner, that you don't have your Second Amendment rights violated by the fact that you legally use marijuana, that your children aren't taken away from you, that you're not drug-tested for not-cause- incidences and workplace, you know, reasonable DUID laws and penalties and the science behind it. So there'll be so much work in the future to try to, once marijuana laws are reformed, to try to then improve them and make them much better. Of course, we've got to get these thousands of people out of jail uh, where possible, get them reparations um, if they were wrongly put in jail. There is so much work to be done long after marijuana is legally sold and taxed.
1: Sure. And I know that uh, Obama has recently granted some clemency to some drug war prisoners and and started releasing some of them, which is fantastic. And and it's great news. Obviously, as you say, there's there's many more people that it's not just a handful. There's a lot of people that really should be let out. Tell the listeners a little about what you guys actually do. I mean, I know that most of it is lobbying efforts to politicians and to interest groups and stuff. But talk a little about what your day is like and what you guys do.
2: Sure. So Normal is the oldest and largest of the marijuana law reform groups, and it has 160 chapters. So we really put the grass in the grassroots of all of this. <laughs> These, <laughs> those, those chapters really are the sort of where the rubber meets the road on marijuana law reform. These are the women, men and women that go to the town hall meetings and the Kiwanis Club meetings and the Knights of Columbus, and they hold up the protest signs, and they go to the trials and, and try to lend support to the uh, patients and victims of the laws. So the chapters are really the heart of Normal's grassroots outreach. Um, We've got 600-plus lawyers involved with the organization, and the lawyers are at the vanguard of the most important litigation that happens in the United States, whether it's medical marijuana or legalization. We certainly do lobby, both the chapters and the national office lobby at the local, state, and federal level. We litigate in all the courts, so we concentrate certainly at the appellate and Supreme Court levels. And... Educate. And so I've been at Normal so long, I've been here 25 years, that I've been here pre- and post-internet. And I can surely affirm that the difference today in the world of the internet... For example, I just got a notice from Facebook this morning indicating that 1.9 million people accessed Normal's Facebook page last week. In 1991, we would have been lucky to have talked to maybe a couple hundred people on the phone or they sent us a fax or they sent us a letter and we wrote them back a letter. So there are now millions and millions of people a week that are tapped into Normals' uh, reform network.
1: Wow, yeah, I mean definitely I I credit the internet with being partly responsible for the change in public attitude uh, towards legalization and towards marijuana because in the old days – the only information the public had was whatever the government or or mainstream media told them, and right. they really didn't have anything to check it against. And totally. if it wasn't for pioneers like Jack Herrer and and Lester Grinspoon mm-hmm. attempting to start putting that real, truthful information out there, they were like the the forefathers of all this, I guess. But now with the internet, when the government puts out some bogus study or some fake fact. You can look online and say, no, there was a study done in Israel or there was a study done over here that says that it doesn't impair driving or it doesn't kill brain cells or it doesn't – You know, so I think that that's partly responsible. I also think that you have to give a little credit to the money interests. I mean the people – when the people with money start getting involved and saying, hey, there's money to be made here and there's tax money to be made here. That's partly responsible as well but i I really think that without the foundation, without the basis of the decades of activism that took place, none of these things would be possible. The people that have you know like yourself and and many others who have uh stood up and 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 fought and sacrificed and spoke out for so many years
2: well oh, you're much uh, it's much appreciated to uh hear you acknowledge that there's clearly a long history of reform that has now got us to the door of legalization and what I call Main Street cannabis commerce. And we totally embrace and love seeing capitalists and, and entrepreneurs now join the fray because it just makes the coalition of reform that much more diverse. It certainly gives us much more resources. My whole life, I've largely bought marijuana illegally from a so-called dealer, and we appreciate and love the fact that for decades, people risked their lives and liberty to grow great cannabis and to sell it to their friends and and whatnot. But at some point, we obviously wanted to get to the place in history where you could just simply walk into a store as an adult and and buy marijuana and pay some reasonable tax on it. And clearly those individuals who are going to grow, market, infuse, test and sell marijuana, they have a voice in all of this too. So in time, in say 20 or 30 years from now, when marijuana is completely legal in the United States, there probably will be at least two different entities that are, will be lobbying. One will be an entity who lobbies for the industry, for their interests, to keep taxes low and regulations in check. And then there'll be groups like Normal or something similar where we argue in favor of consumers. And while a, a lot of the time those two overlap, clearly in a free market economy, there's a natural friction between the sellers and the uh, consumers. And Normal will always be there to represent the consumers' issues.
1: Well, that's certainly good to know, Alan. We need to take a short break now, but please don't go away. We'll be right back with more from Alan St. Pierre here on Blazin'. Want to grow your own weed but not sure where to get the seed? Go to bcbuddepot.com.
0: For nearly 15 years, BC Bud Depot has been building one of the world's most comprehensive seed banks, offering over 50 strains of top-quality cannabis to suit every grower's needs, including multiple award-winning strains like God Bud, The Purps, BC Blueberry, Girl Scout Cookies, and more. In fact, BC Bud Depot's genetics have won over 30 different cannabis awards over the past decade. So you know you're dealing with a recognized industry leader that will deliver you some of the most potent flavorful flowers on the planet they ship worldwide offering fast discreet delivery at reasonable prices all online orders are processed within 48 hours and are packaged and mailed with the utmost stealth and safety in mind and if for some reason your order gets lost damaged or confiscated BC Bud depot will resend it at no extra charge guaranteeing that every customer receives what they paid for. Whether you're looking for Indica or Sativa, indoor or outdoor, feminized or autoflowering, BC Bud Depot has the seeds you need at a price you can handle. But don't take my word for it. Check out their extensive library of award-winning genetics for yourself at bcbuddepot.com and type in promo code BLAZIN420 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. BC Bud Depot Home of Cannabis Champions since 2002.
1: Please check your local, state, and
0: national laws before ordering.
1: All right, and we are back with Alan St. Pierre, Executive Director of Normal. Before the break, we had started discussing the corporatization or consumerization of the cannabis industry. And, you know, when when this whole transformation started, there were a lot of purists and, and I guess you might say hippie, maybe activists out there who were like, keep the keep the big business out of pot and stuff. And, and I've always said, like, it's it's a very unrealistic thing to think that you would be able to legalize cannabis and have no one make money on it. I mean, it just it doesn't make any sense in, in our society. But I do think that there are legitimate pitfalls that we need to really be aware of. There are carpetbagger types who come in who have no respect for the plant or for as a medicine or as its mm-hmm. history or anything of that nature, and they're just in it to make a quick buck, sometimes at the expense of their customers or patients. And there's also the risk of monopoly. I know that that was one of the mm-hmm. problems that held back the Initiative in Ohio, that people felt that uh, the government only allowed a very small handful of people to jump in on, you know, op- uh, growing or opening mm-hmm. dispensaries. And it again, like you were saying earlier about unnecessary uh, obstacles being put in the way of this industry. And that's uh, yet another about how do you feel? What's the best way to try to avoid falling into these pitfalls of, of the monopolization of weed?
2: Well, there's no doubt that you you rightly pointed out the big disaster of 2015 for reformers was this initiative in Ohio that was put forward by not donors but investors who wanted to get the majority of the licenses if the initiative was to win to come to them. And that definitely set up an anti-free market, monopoly-like situation. It made it really easy for even longtime supporters of marijuana law reform to hold their nose and oppose the reforms. And it certainly lost—lost It lost by it was 65 to 35 percent loss. Whereas places like Colorado and Washington and Oregon had passed their legalization initiatives at the 55 percentile. So something was very, very wrong with the Ohio model. And in future, um, it's going to be an amalgam. It's going to be a combination of both old-school do-gooders, groups like Normal, the ACLU, who are just simply in favor of ending prohibition. We don't seek to sell marijuana, we're not looking to get rich off of it. But at the same time, there are now thousands of licensed marijuana businesses in the United States. Hundreds of millions of dollars have been raised and committed to these companies. And in our country, there's no doubt that they will be at the table arguing persuasively for considerations that make it uh, good for their business. So I think that California will probably give us the good example in this year of that amalgam. Half the money will largely come from old-school reformers, and half the money is going to come from marijuana-related businesses who certainly want to see Prohibition end, but they're not going to make the same mistake that was done in Ohio and try to have all the economic benefits redound back to them.
1: Yeah, you know, that's actually a perfect segue, uh, because my next question to you was going to be about California. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's, it's obvious. I mean, the rest of the West Coast has, is legal now. Cali was the pioneer, uh, as far as not only cultivation in the Emerald Triangle for, for so many years, decades, but then the, the pioneer for medical marijuana, the first state, you know, Prop 215. And so it seems odd that at this stage in the game where pot has become legalized in other states and has become so acceptable that Cali is kind of dragging their feet a bit. And similar to Ohio's measure, Prop 19 famously failed, and people were kind of left scratching their heads like, what happened? Mm-hmm. We, we thought we had this in the bag. So tell us a little about what is on the ballot for California mm-hmm. moving forward and how it differs from Prop 19.
2: Sure. So the difference from Prop 19, those Uh, lessons were learned very soon after 2010 and were successfully applied in Oregon, Washington, and Alaska. And the lessons learned was you had to really address the concerns of parents and employers regarding drug testing and whether kids would have access to it, to set up uh, regulatory schemes that um, police couldn't argue were permissive or would have allowed marijuana to leak out of the system. So those were successfully applied in these other states and voters were like, yeah, let's, let's vote for that. So you're right. California is the most important state in the union period, just in general, politically speaking. And it is definitely the biggest market to produce marijuana, the biggest market to consume marijuana, and it has the longest history and culture associated with marijuana. So. I would think that this year when they have an initiative before them to legalize it they're gonna pass it one because these other states have already done so and now they're almost embarrassed that they were not the first state and they need to catch up and two is they just simply at this point recognize that the medical marijuana system there particularly the new laws that have been passed there are not going to maximize the opportunity to sell and use the product so Everybody should hopefully be locking arms in California in 2016 to pass legalization because I don't think it's hyperbolic to say, as goes California, so goes the country, so goes the North, Central, and South American hemisphere, and so goes the European Union.
1: Wow, that's even, uh, I mean, I realized that they were influential, but I didn't even think that it would be that much influence, that it would be such an international influence. New York passed uh, what I consider a terrible medical marijuana law. Yes. I mean, I, I realize that it, it will help some people, and for that reason, I applaud it. It is, it is still in some way a step forward, but, I mean, no, no flowers of any kind allowed. And, it, you know, it just, again, looking to Colorado and seeing what they have going on there i just don't understand like they're trying to appear tough is that do you think that's what it is they're trying to appear like oh we're not going to have this free-for-all permissive thing going on in our state because new york is a liberal state it always has been a liberal oh, state yeah. is it just an east coast west coast thing i mean what do you what do you think is the reason for oh, having yeah. such so a you, prohibitive law
2: you really kind of nailed it down thinking about the country west coast from 1996 forward. All those states that went medical marijuana, once they passed the laws, it, it didn't take long that patients were able to access it, they could grow their own in a, in a reasonable way. But here on the East Coast, pick the state, New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut, uh, Maryland, the District of Columbia, Illinois for that matter, Once legislators, not voters, that's the other big distinction, on the West Coast, all of that was done by voter initiative. Right. Here on the East Coast, almost all of it was done by legislators, and when they did it, they made it much more complicated, put so many more rules in it. It took two to three years to roll these laws out. And you're right. New York laws is absolutely one of the worst ones uh, in the scale of medical marijuana. And what it's caught up in is what we call the CBD only or the vapor only epoch. And so what happened was from 1996 to about 2012, all the medical marijuana laws that were formed never addressed what type of marijuana people could consume But starting, once Sanjay Gupta had these two specials on CNN, and so many people started to learn about the therapeutic benefits of CBD as compared to THC, then we had 14 states, mainly very conservative states in the southern United States, but the two that stood out in the north were Minnesota and New York, two generally very liberal-tolerant states, but they have passed, collectively, the worst laws where patients really don't have access to the product. It's very expensive. They have to travel very far to get it. So you're right. Uh, New York's law is not functional and is probably, the companies that are involved in it are certainly hoping that much sooner than later, full legalization happens so they can be sort of first in
1: line for it. Just for our listeners who may not know, uh, let me just clarify CBD is one of the cannabinoids like THC in cannabis and the CBD cannabinoid has been identified as helping with pain relief, muscle relaxation, seizures, things of that nature, but it is not psychoactive. Um, so it seems like a safe bet for politicians to say, oh, look, we're progressive. We passed a medical marijuana law, but it's just for kids with epilepsy or or whatever. And uh, what they don't realize and what more and more medical and scientific uh, professionals are saying is that. What they call the entourage effect yes. needs to be taken into account, which is that these cannabinoids work together. They work off of each other, and you can breed up or down for them to fine tune the benefit, but in a vacuum, they don't necessarily work.
2: Exactly. I'm glad you made that point because it really is a distinction. In some ways, these legislators in the South and in New York and Minnesota were sold a bill of goods that. These products, quote, don't get you high, so therefore it's not marijuana. And the other point, too, regarding the, the geography of all this is that in places like New York, the legislature and the governor, they would literally say things like, well, we're passing an anti-California medical marijuana law here in New York. So it really did become a a, a big geographic dis- difference across the country.
1: Sure. I mean, I, I can understand the backlash. Cali's law is extremely permissive but there is a middle ground also it doesn't have to yeah, I mean, be everyone can get it or no one can get it there should be a, a rational middle ground i mean you i know you and i both believe that in all honesty everyone should be able to use it for insomnia or a headache if they choose sure. to because there's no reason you shouldn't there's almost no negative effects you know long term effects every study's proven this and even if there were some negative effects Adults should be allowed to use it. There are negative effects exactly. of alcohol and tobacco, well publicized. Oh,
2: yeah. I mean, just think about those of us who will watch TV and see those incessant ads about pharmaceuticals, and they, even in that short period of time, they talk about them, they ram all those problems associated with them. Well, that makes good sense. Every time you and I take everything from an aspirin to smoke a joint to taking morphine that our doctors prescribe to us, we have to make a choice about benefits. And uh, alternatives. And uh, marijuana is not perfect, but compared to these other drugs, it is so much safer and lacks toxicity that more often than not, it is the far more sane and rational and economic choice than pharmaceutical.
1: And that's another uh, concern, obviously, is the pharmaceuticalization of cannabis. Oh yeah. Obviously, the pharmaceutical companies want to make money on this, and you know, I, I understand that there should there should be pharmaceuticals based on cannabis available, but that shouldn't mean you're not allowed to consume the plant or grow the plant. It's That's really not, regrettable, but yeah.
2: some of those companies—I and I won't even name them—just keep, keep myself out of trouble and lawsuits. <laughs> <laughs> but those companies. Their business model is largely predicated on the fact that the government still keeps the botanical, the flower, illegal. And so, what they've done is they've gone out and hired former DEA agents and former people from the drug czar's office, people who spent their whole career arguing that marijuana is bad, marijuana is terrible. And now they walk through the revolving door of government. They work with the big pharmaceutical companies, and now they sit down with legislators and regulators and say, oh, well, Medical marijuana is okay, but only if it comes in the pharmaceutical version that we've created.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the difference to a patient between being able to grow your own medicine for free in your backyard or your closet, as opposed to spending lots of money to do it through an insurance company and a pharmaceutical company, and pretty much get the same effect, if not a better effect, with your own Absolutely. No, and they know
2: it. Believe me, I, I've met with legisl- uh, lobbyists from the pharmaceutical companies, and they have said, you know, you know, we have to spend half a billion dollars, it takes us 10 years to get through the FDA, but... You know, folks who grow marijuana in a closet, dry it, put it in a mason jar, walk it out front and sell it for three or four hundred dollars an ounce, they don't have any liabilities, they didn't pay any taxes, there was no regulations. So, yeah, they see medical marijuana clearly at the botanical level as a threat to their market share.
1: So it it is in their best interest to see cannabis rescheduled as well though. They just don't want to yes. see it taken oh. they don't wanna see it taken <laughs> off the schedule though. <laughs>
2: Yeah, boy, I'm glad that you were able to point to something that um, is so important in the scheme of talking about marijuana in total, and that is even pharmaceutical companies are hamstrung, and so they are arguing, too, that it should at least be Schedule Two.
1: Sure. And uh, again just for any listeners who aren't totally <laughs> familiar with the uh, scheduling system, the Controlled Substances Act basically breaks different psychoactive substances down into n- a number of categories. Uh, schedule 1 being considered the most dangerous and addictive with the least benefit, and cannabis is in there with what else heroin is and LSD. Heroin and LSD, which is <laughs> which is absurd also. And then cocaine and like oxycodone are like schedule 2, right?
2: Right.
1: <laughs> it's just absurd. A remnant of a bygone era of ignorance right. that we're that we've long outgrown, they just haven't caught up to it yet,
2: <laughs> you know, by the way, I think that in the last oh, I think he's got thirteen or fourteen months of his presidency you know i I don't make bets I'm not a soothsayer, but I would hardly be surprised. If the last sort of marijuana rabbit that Mr. Obama pulls out of his hat might be, he has the ability as the executive to down-schedule cannabis to at least two. And I think that that might be one of the last things he does that would help set up reforms for the next president, whoever they happen to be. Because there's almost nobody left in the room, even our opponents cannot argue with a straight face that marijuana should be in Schedule 1. So we're kind of at a point of political capitulation where nobody in the room argues that anymore.
1: That's true, and I was going to ask you that as well about Obama. You know, in his first term... Uh, he was catching a lot of flack from the activists <laughs> and the pro-Pot people and I kept saying to people you have to wait till the second act. He's not going to do anything to legalize yep. Pot in because he wants to be reelected, and the last thing he wants is to appear soft on drugs or whatever, but we all know he was part of the choom gang. He knows that Pot is not this terrible thing that people make it out to be. So I said, just give him time he'll come around and he hasn't waved some magic wand and made it legal, but he has in steps oh. and in increments made it a little easier, a little better, a little more rational, and uh, he seems to continue to be moving in that direction. And I love second-term Obama. I wish second-term <laughs> Obama was around for first term.
2: Yeah, no, you nailed it. I think that the first term, there was no way he was going to really go too far out on the limb. He definitely has a strong affinity with marijuana. He grew up smoking the best marijuana in the United States in the 1970s out in Hawaii. <laughs> so he, Maui-waui. He yeah, he really does know it. You know, but he's the father of teenagers, and he's the president. And it was pretty clear that he was going to take that path of being more prudent than not on this issue. But analytically speaking, when we go back and have to look at the history of all of this, it is amazing to see the things that he and his attorney generals have done. I won't bore people with details, but there are at least six or seven things that he's done that has now made it so that when you and I go to Colorado, we can stand in line and buy marijuana and pay a tax on it. I can promise you, had Mr. McCain or Mr. Romney won either of those elections, then there's a good chance you and I might not even be talking today about all these great progressive things that have happened.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, let's hope that he does get around to rescheduling it before he leaves office, and let's hope that we have uh, a President Sanders come in and take it off the schedule altogether.
2: (laughs) That would be great. Well, we're certainly going to see something momentous happen one way or the other in 2016. That is the nature of politics. And if uh, passes prologue and some of the prognosticators are correct, Marijuana law reform is going to happen certainly more in the next five to ten years. East and West Coast will be the first places, New England, and then it'll take decades to infill the Oklahomas and Kansases of the world. But that's okay. If they want to be slow to the, to the race, doesn't mean that those of us who don't want to live in more tolerant places just simply can't relocate and migrate.
1: Sure. On that note, fi- final question. How many years do you think it will be before we see marijuana legal nationwide?
2: Well, I think realistically speaking, we'd probably get through two to three more election cycles. Election cycles run in two years. So by 20 to 2022, we should be near the end. I mean, maybe there could be the Oklahomans of the world that are going to hold out. (laughs) But it seems implausible to me that by 2030, if you're an adult and you're using marijuana in your house, that you are uh, subject to criminal or civil sanctions whatsoever.
1: That's amazing. Well, Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. Keep up the good fight.
2: Well, thank you, and I look forward to conversing with you soon, and would uh, love to hang with you and enjoy the fruits of our labor. Talk to you soon, Bobby.
1: Take care, Alan. Well, for all you listeners out there who care about cannabis and would like to see it legal, I urge you to check out normal.org for more info and to sign up. As Alan said, there are normal chapters all over the country, so get involved and make a difference. That's it for this week. Please follow me on Twitter at Bobby Black, Facebook and Instagram at BobbyBlack420. Join me next week when my guest will be cannabis comic extraordinaire, Mr. Doug Benson. And if there's someone you'd like to see as a guest on Blazin', please go to our website, facebook.com slash Blazin' with BB, and leave us a comment, let us know. Until then, this is Bobby Black saying, Blaze on, brothers and sisters.